0: This is Podkit, episode 42, React So Strongly, on mid-September 2018. And now, hi time travelers. This episode of Podkit is hosted by Brandon Johnson, Brian Mitchell, and Ryan Rampersad. This episode has show notes at thenexus.tv slash pk42 and is presented from the past.
1: In the future. Just to start off
2: plug on some hot new apple news from several days ago um the new uh september event you know take a listen to the nexus special which is at the ns60 to take a listen to our thoughts of all the juicy new apple news and thoughts and softwares and phones and watches and etc
1: yeah that was a yeah. good one or the,
0: or those that don't happen who knows
1: yeah what happened who,
2: who anyway will
0: have known yeah uh wibbly wobbly timey wimey stuff
1: yeah you you just never know what products will get released at these apple keynotes and well you know we'll we'll talk all about how much we got and how much we didn't get this is true yeah but this episode is all about not apple stuff so let's talk about some other news and things
0: let us indeed. I see a Scott Hanselman blog post in here. You
1: sure do. So you know, I, do, do you guys know who Scott Hanselman is? I do not. No.
0: I've got to know him kind of like an old friend on account of me trying to figure out what C sharp is over the past couple months.
1: Yeah, so he's he's kind of a C sharp guy, um, and you know, I I haven't really followed him and his his life and career too too closely, but mm-hmm. he um he's a pretty cool um you know, person in the uh, community. Um, certainly not one of the JavaScript people that we totally don't follow, but but somebody for sure that's notable. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he, he published this blog post um, probably some time ago, um, like two weeks ago, um, four weeks ago, I don't know. Uh, a month ago. Yeah. Um, and, and so, <laughs> you know, um, when you read the website though, you know, this blog looks like it was um, from like 10 years ago on WordPress, but it's totally running... On a .NET server, so that's kind of funny. Yeah. Um, But but I really thought this was an interesting post, so so um, you should go read it. But the the idea is, how do you even know this crap? So what what that means is, um, we're all kind of developers here in some way or another. We develop something, and and some of the people listening to this this episode might also be a developer. Uh, and they also might just not be a developer but also know some strange things that other people don't know yet. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I often experience this and, I, I, and and I don't know if it's a syndrome like imposter syndrome but it's the how do you even know this um, kind of experience. And so um, for context about a month ago I was at a HackerX event um, and HackerX is this kind of speed recruiting event where you, you get five minutes to talk to each kind of group and then you rotate um and at some point um we got a guy who was uh, an expert in as 400 systems which is really cool wow because that's uh you know a kind of a legacy thing now and there's probably you know a handful of as 400 experts out there in the world which is amazing um and and so he was he was um introducing what he does to 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 the person i was with and 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 me and he he mentioned AS400, and I'm like, yeah, oh yeah, of course. And he's like, wow, you actually know what that is. Most people never know what that is. Um, and 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 then I thought, how do I even know that? Yeah. Um, and and so that's why this this particular thing resonates with me so well. Um, and and so um, this this Hanselman post, you know, he he goes on to to write about this experience about finding an icon, um, and while he isn't really a front end person. He knew there must be a Unicode icon for what he wanted to do. And then one of his fellow engineers said, how do you even know that? Um, And so his perspective on this is that there's this kind of intuition that, you know, developers earlier in their career might not have yet. But this feeling of, you know, there really must be a function or a site or a tool that does X, Y, or Z and that somebody must have already come and done this in this kind of similar situation. And, right. and I think that that's half of it. But I think it's also this this other thing about just just retaining knowledge and having exposure. So what do you guys think?
0: No, absolutely. I think, you know, um, I maybe earlier on in, in Podkit's existence, I talked a lot more about um, kind of my days when I was doing Tier 1 technical support, and i think that's all that's a very similar sort of sort, sort of situation about like retaining knowledge um of uh, like of sources that you don't you don't really remember where you've where you found it out but you're like no i'm pretty sure this is this is how this works and some share of time that that's borne out and other shares of time it's not um i think like as i've moved away from technical support and towards straight up and software engineering um i think that's kind of a a um a different sort of situation in some ways but not necessarily in others. I mean, as I, as I kind of mentioned, I've been digging into um, the .NET ecosystem a little bit more the past six months to a year three three months, six months year, something like that and I think something kind of intriguing about um, the .NET ecosystem is that like, um, I have a solid depth of experience in Java I have a solid depth of experience in JavaScript um, and I have a solid depth of experience in Ruby and Ruby on Rails in particular. Uh, most of my web development experience has probably been Ruby on Rails APIs or Node.js APIs and a JavaScript frontend uh, of some of some sort or another. And one of the things that's been super interesting to me as I've been digging more into C is just how many things I, I'm like, oh, well, you know, like, like the, the biggest example for me over the past couple months is like, I want to know how to do array.reduce or list.reduce in C and I was like, there has to be something like this. There has to be something like this because it, this can't just be a, something that the, you know, like it sprung for fully formed out of uh, Brendan Ike's head because I know it wasn't his idea. Right. right? Exactly. Um, so uh, I, I looked it up and I looked it up some more and everyone's like, well, yeah, I mean, you can kind of do that. But why would you do that when you have link? Right. And I was like, well, what, what, <laughs> what the heck is link? Uh, so I looked that up. And um, link or language integrated queries um, is a is a feature I think mostly of the .NET platform, but it, it's there have been ports to other things too. That allow you to do like SQL like things almost um, in code, um, so you can query a, a list more or less um, using things like where statements and select statements and stuff like that. And like I know enough SQL to get by, but I don't. I don't really think in those terms in particular. I'd much prefer map, filter, and reduce. Yeah. Um, however, they have something that's similar to um, map that's called select, and they have something similar to reduce, which is called uh, aggregate. And aggregate is really wacky looking. Like all the argument orders are like uh, flipped around, and there's like a um, there's like a second function you can use that's like a you the 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 argument order is like your seed your default value and then your what i would call like a reducer function and then the last one is a mapper function basically so you can like reduce to get everything that you want into some reduced object and then map that object just map that array ostensibly or that object into something else um and that's really fascinating it's Mm. really cool that they have something like that Mm -hmm. um but um that was like one of those things that kind of fits in that in that paradigm, I think, because like I knew that something like this had to exist. I knew that I could write something that did this, but it took me a little while to figure out um, what it was. Even though it did eventually end up being born out,
1: right? And I think it's a cool parallel of knowledge. So like you knew from your own personal experience about mapping and reducing in JavaScript, yeah. and you just you you have this sense that well if it can, if JavaScript can do it, surely this uh, enterprise quality compiled language must also.
0: Right, right, right. It might not it might not take the same format. It might not look the same. Right. But they, th- these folks must have thought of it before JavaScript did. Hopefully. Right? Almost certainly.
1: <laughs> yeah.
2: Yeah, I think JavaScript's a unique language where it's, you know, constantly evolving, but I think a lot of features in JavaScript come from other languages these days, especially. I mean, look at, like, the pipeline operator proposal and... Oh, yeah. Um, I mean, yeah, some of these modern ES 2015 plus operators. Um, And I think something like NPM as well as a package manager can is, I think it's a pretty unique package manager and partly because it was later to the game than a lot of other package managers so they could kind of take the best features of the other ones and incorporate them into what is NPM.
0: Totally. And I think like, I I, I think you're right too but like um, what this kind of gets, the what what, what Hanselman's post kind of gets to is like this idea of like how do we know what we know, um, which is which is of course a big thing for me and like what what are, what are these like felt senses that we have and where do they come from, mm-hmm. um, and I think like like Brian said a lot of it's because like the the lineage of these ideas I, I think as you get more familiar with. What is out there, particularly in the software engineering world, but I think also in other disciplines as well. You're like this. This isn't new. This is something that somebody else has thought of before. And while it might have a fancy new name, like suspense, or uh, <laughs> it, might, it might have a fancy new name like uh, like a, um, like a, like state management, right? Yep. Um, right, like state management in a web app isn't really a thing people talked about as a framework level feature until React. I would say um or react gave that discussion a new definition right you don't really talk about like state management in in ember there's ember data that's what you use right right um so i, I think like uh, as I, I think certainly as i've matured and this is uh, gets to that kind of jadedness we discussed in the fringe is like i've i've um uh, lost patience for folks thinking um or for folks reintroducing new ideas as though they sprung fully formed out of their head without kind of paying respect to the things that came before it.
1: Yeah, I can, um, I can, I can see that too. I, I will say that I think, I think there's a difference of wholesale reintroduction. Like, right. Oh yeah, I totally just remake. I totally just invented promises in JavaScript. Like, yep, that was me. Totally did that. <laughs> or, right. you know, like, um, you know, before promises existed, here's uh, in JavaScript, here's, 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 here are callbacks, and now uh, we're introducing promises. Other languages have always had promises, but for JavaScript developers, it was a totally different way of thinking, for example. Oh, totally. Absolutely. And and so I think it's, I think it's uh, an interesting thing to think about. It might not be a totally uh, new idea, but if it's new to the people that it's introduced to, um, and sufficiently different then I think that's okay also
0: no absolutely absolutely
1: yeah I, I find this whole topic of how do you even know this um, very fascinating because um, one of one of my favorite things to do is is to mentor and coach and you know yeah. just just expose um, others not even just younger developers and 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 those earlier in their career but even those later in their career that just haven't had the opportunities to learn some of these odd things that if you just never had a need to know you just wouldn't know and i think that's just so fascinating
2: yeah i totally agree
0: absolutely
1: so so when so when the listeners in the future run into this situation of you're you you're helping somebody with something and and you have a suggestion to make because how do you even know this? Um, you know, just just uh, you know, think about that, and uh, you know, maybe maybe give send us a tweet about yeah, that experience because I I want to hear more about what other people feel when they do this kind of thing, um, because I think there's also a relationship with this syndrome or mm-hmm. whatever it is to imposter syndrome with which is, you know, I totally don't know enough, and, and compared to the other people who know way more, I just I know nothing, um, right. because I also totally feel that way all the time. Um, but then I also feel like this, how do I even know this? Um, so yeah, cool.
0: Right. And that's another part of why I react so strongly to react react. so strongly to, (laughs) to kind of some of the stuff that's going on in the JavaScript community is because I, I feel that same way. I feel like there are a lot of people who like to act as experts while they're just as, um, uh, they're, they're figuring this stuff out just as much as anybody else. Yeah. Um,
1: yep that's all i'll say about that cool well that was that was enough i think we i think we did a good job um so now it's time to talk about something controversial (laughs) um semicolons or
2: not let's just open uh start off and and say do you prefer to use them or not in like today not historical historically Um, but today i'm i've i i do use semicolons in javascript or typescript yes
1: um it depends for me
0: yeah i almost always defer to whatever the existing project configuration is what if but you made a new one if i made a new one i would uh, i would probably use my kind of personal um the project configuration bootstrapping if you can call it that it's really just a package json file that i copy into new projects run yarn install yarn start and i'm ready to roll um but, uh, I, I would probably not use semicolons
1: <laughs> um,
0: which you know right is like um, if, if I let Prettier do it for me that's fine um, but uh, I think uh, and, I, and I recognize that there are some situations that this can cause weird um, weird bugs if you're not careful um, but simultaneously you know what um, so can most of JavaScript so <laughs> I'm, I'm not super concerned about um, one more incremental potentially subtle problem in a situation that I think I've just generally learned to avoid over the years.
1: Yeah. So you mentioned prettier and I think, I think prettier has kind of caused the semicolon debate to um,
0: like reemerge
1: to, to appear kind of alongside with the, um, you know, timeless tabs versus spaces debate. Um, And, and also I guess JavaScript is kind of unique in the sense that it allows semicolons to be optional or at least to be optional for you to type even though it inserts them wherever it needs to, right? Yeah. So, so Brian, I want to hear more about your um, your experience with semicolons because you you come from a, a, a different background than some of us.
2: Yeah. So, I learned programming with Java that uses semicolons. Um, that you know, I've just always used them in JavaScript and now TypeScript. Um, I installed Prettier on a new application in the beginning of august and use the with semi flag um, i think that's that's a pattern that pretty much everyone at my work uses is using semicolons i'll occasionally forget to type it if i'm just console logging somewhere to debug something but other than that it's always there that's the norm it looks better to me my ide doesn't warn me i can reconfigure that yes but by default um, and i i I don't remember who it was. It was a year ago or something. Someone posted an article about saying, you know, the similar thing to what Brandon was saying. There are some weird bugs and quirks that can happen. Um, This person was saying you should probably use semicolons. But then there are things like standard, which doesn't, and prettier, which doesn't by default. Um, So I use the semi-standard style in um, some light, light applications at work. Um, And then prettier now, but with semis.
1: Yeah. Nice. So I, um, have a slightly new opinion on this, um, as opposed to my old opinion on this. Yeah. Um, uh, so previously I was attempting to enforce the no semi lifestyle on all of those that I knew and worked with. Right. Um, which was, which did have moderate success. Um, but, um, that was an easier thing to, to, um do at the time because we were working on a plain javascript back end and front end so it, there wasn't any c sharp there wasn't any java it was just javascript on the client side and on the back back end um so that made it easier to do that now the current project i'm working on with the current team we have an extremely mixed code base. So we have some Kotlin, we have some Rust, we have some TypeScript, we have some JavaScript. And you might argue, you're crazy. Why do you have all this awful code running around? But that's not the point today. The point is we do. Um, So Kotlin, um, it uses semicolons. Um, Rust uses all the semicolons most of the time, although sometimes it's optional, but for actual semantic reasons, TypeScript doesn't necessarily care about semicolons, mm-hmm. but the NestJS framework that we're using ships with a default pretty RC file with the semicolons turned on. And then, of course, the JavaScript code I write doesn't need semicolons, but if I use JavaScript in those same TypeScript projects, well, I might as well just use the same pretty RC file, and I yeah. guess I have to. So then I do, and it has semicolons. So now I guess what I believe is if you're writing plain javascript and it's the same on both sides of the divide you can use no semis and that's fine but if you do have another language you're using with semicolons as part of the language itself then you should probably just deal with it and just use semicolons
2: and that might be why we do that at my work too because a lot of the the code written is in c sharp which yeah needs
1: semicolons so we do i think that's i think that's just a fair reason yeah i i
0: i buy that i think um you know um I, i'm seeing i'm working on more projects now where the the person who sets them up um, or who has set them up because i'm kind of moving uh kind of between projects a little bit more frequently now um already has semicolons enforced and i don't mind that one bit because prettier handles fixing that for me exactly um but uh you know same same sort of thing if i had no semis turned on that person would probably be fine with it too because um no semi like if i have the no semi flag passed to prettier they don't have to care they can put semicolons wherever they want and it'll just be fixed i worked with a developer for a little while who um wasn't familiar with and didn't like the arrow function syntax so we just wrote all of his functions as functions and and it converted the rest that's nice
1: yeah, I um my TypeScript um doesn't always get semicolons at the end, especially when I do a console log statement, I just forget to put a semicolon at the end. And so right. Prettier will just come back and just fix it for me, which is wonderful.
0: Yep. That's what it's all about.
1: So I, I will also mention that just, just the idea of Prettier. Um so do you do you guys think of Prettier as sort of JavaScript's formatter tool? Like that is the that is it?
2: It is oh. a tool for JavaScript style. It's, there's standard. There's custom ESLint configurations.
1: I um, yeah. think those of TSLint. I think of those as different things.
0: I I do too, and I think the reason for it is that like kind of the way that prettier functions is a little different, right? Because it's parsing. It's actually um, getting an abstract syntax tree for your for your JavaScript, right? And it's and it's basically pretty printing that AST back into back into javascript code that's formatted in a certain way w- whereas like eslint isn't doing that same thing is it
1: not that i know of I'm it, it not can, sure it, uh, eslint can do like um you can you can run fix with eslint and that will uh fix things <laughs> um,
0: right 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 but it's not it's not actually
1: yeah like, it's different
0: converting it to an ast ast and then back into
1: it might do that in order to actually make those fixes, but it's certainly not reformatting most of the time. Right. Um, well, so, so the reason I bring this up is so, so go has something called go FMT. And, um, basically if you want to put your code onto the go repository, you run go FMT go format before you do it. Um, and then all go code is basically formatted in this singular, singular, uniform way. Um, there's a Rust-FMT, Rust, Rust formatter, which you can use to format all of your Rust code. And I'm pretty sure it's turned on by default whenever you use VS Code with um, the um, RLS tool, which is the Rust language server. Um, so so I, I kind of I think now that most future languages will have this kind of default formatter. Um, and the reason I think that's really good is that it makes reading code from anywhere kind of have this uniform you know syntax a uh, bixby just turned on that's pretty funny <laughs> i don't i don't know how saying rust fmt triggers bixby but that's cool um yeah. we'll talk about that in a little bit um so i i just think it's interesting that the new languages have this and so the reason i also think that's important to bring up is because i was coding in java and kotlin recently mm-hmm. and it was infuriating that they don't have a language level formatter. So right. you can you can tell Eclipse or uh, IntelliJ or whatever weird thing you use to code Java to actually format, right. but it's not the language settings, it's your settings. And sure, you can change prettier rules a little bit here and there, but it's generally something that is applied separately from the IDE, and I think that's a big deal. Right. Um, the first time I'd ever heard of some
0: like a, like a language doing something like this was Elm. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that predated prettier by a little bit, but it was yeah. kind of the same sort of thing. And yep. I remember looking at Elm code. Um, actually I, I won't even use my words. I'll use Richard Feldman, Feldman's here because I think he had a really good, um, kind of evaluation of this. He said, um, uh, and I'll see if I can find the tweet to back this up, but he said something along the lines of, I was lo- working with somebody who was new to Elm and, um, they were asking me for feedback on their application that they'd built. And um Feldman basically tweeted something along the lines of um this person who had just started working with Elm not a couple of weeks ago or whatever, time period doesn't matter, but relatively recently. And um they asked for feedback and I was able to say um because Elm format was handling all that, um, it kind of took away any of the kind of idiosyncrasies of like um, Oh, like you should like it made the conversation less about um, oh, how many spaces are there, yada yada yada. in-fix, right. Infix, postfix, yada yada, yep. whatever, um, and more more about the code. The other thing he said is that generally speaking, um, th- uh, he didn't have very much feedback for this person because the Elm framework, in addition to Elm format, kind of caused them to to think about the application in a certain way yep. that basically made it no different from how um, Feldman would have done it. Exactly. And I think. I think formatters go a long way for that and i think um there's some other stuff that goes along with that too but i think formatters are a big part of that for sure
1: so for any of the java developers listening to this episode there is a prettier for java it's called prettier java <laughs> pretty, oh, really? pretty sure i'll put a link here in the show notes for everybody to uh, enjoy thoroughly um it's sort of in beta right now you know it's it's pre-release um it probably hasn't had a whole lot of work done on it in a little while. But um, in in theory, you could use this JavaScript Prettier to Prettier Java code. Um, and the reason I think that's just so nice is because getting IntelliJ or Eclipse or any of these thingamajigs, these IDEs, to actually participate in a uniform formatting experience across systems, I have never had good luck with it. But right. I've always had good luck with Prettier. And, and rust fmt and go fmt so um really just give that a thumb and check that out hey you know um so there the, there were these iphones the other day did you hear about those oh yeah maybe i've, I've heard
0: of I've heard of, I, I've heard of the iphone
1: well i didn't buy one i um bought oh. a different phone oh. instead that's all right um so we can still be friends okay i'm glad um I think he just muted me. Um oh. <laughs> No. Um, so I bought a Galaxy Note 9. Nice. Um, and so uh, this was a phone that was released, I don't know, like early August, mid-August. And uh, they were doing some pre-order stuff. I didn't get to pre-order because I don't play. What's that game all the kids play? Do you know? Candy Crush. No, Fortnite. no. That's what all the old people. <laughs> yeah, Fortnite. Yeah, right. Oh, okay. Um. So Fortnite was a thing. Um, apparently, you could get some kind of in-game currency if you did the pre-order. I didn't do that, so uh, I I just bought the phone for the phone. Fair um, enough. So I have had three Galaxy phones now. That's that's a lot of phones from from not Google. Yeah. Um. So that's been pretty weird. Um. So so we'll probably talk more about this on the uh, review that's coming in a few weeks. Um. But it's weird to not have a Google phone. Because I had previously used Nexus phones pretty much the entire time of my phone history, right. um, And and so it turns out the Samsung phones actually in in some ways better than Google phones, some Pixel phones and Nexus phones. Um, but one weird thing is that this phone, the Note Nine, costs a thousand dollars, just like a phone that we all know and love, which was last year's iPhone, mm-hmm. ten right that's what they called it last year uh the the names of this year are kind of weird so i just always get confused so um i had the s8 plus previously and then my current phone was the s9 plus and now i've moved up to the note 9 which Mm -hmm. is yet again even bigger um so i traded in my s8 plus for 450 dollars which i thought was a great deal
0: that sounds magnificent. Um,
1: yeah, totally. So $1,000 450 but after tax, that came out to just $600. So that is a really good phone for a decently okay price. So I am totally happy with this decision to purchase this now. Um, so yeah, the, the review will be coming in a few weeks. Um, I can tell you just off the bat that pretty much everything I loved about the s9 and s8 before it is still true about this phone there's a few different few new features that i didn't have before but that now i will have access to um i'll be doing some more tests with the camera um but overall if you liked either of the uh s8 plus or s9 plus phones or any of the other smaller versions of those sure for sure you will like the note in terms of functionality the only difference here is really screen size nice
2: how's that stylus life
1: um i will tell you significant facts about the stainless life in a few weeks during the review but um i will for sure draw you a message later and send it to you in slack nice beautiful (laughs) it's 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 kind of fun and i I, i'm sure um so do you remember the thing you could do on the um apple watch where you could kind of draw a little thing and send it to somebody yeah yeah yeah. that was the apple watch right Yep. yep So, uh, the, the phone here, the, the, the note nine has a stylus and you can take the stylus out and then open a mode where you can draw a message with it. So, uh, you can send it as a GIF to the person, the recipient, and they will get it played back to them as if it were being drawn still. So you can sketch out high and then, you know, like whatever your message is. And it's kind of fun because it's a little bit more interactive. I will say that that feature is kind of weird, though, because it takes an absurdly long time to render a GIF, and I wish there were another file format that somebody made that was actually good at sending animated things. It's almost
2: like a a video, you know?
1: Yeah, it'd be like a video, like a WebP or, um, I don't know. H2654,
2: HEVC.
1: You know, anything that wasn't a GIF that was like 10 megabytes, you know? Yeah, so otherwise, um, really good phone. I got it for a good price. But even if you were getting it for an actual legitimate $1,000, it's still a pretty good phone. Mm-hmm. Because as you know, all of the phones at this screen size and premium tier all cost around, around this price. This is true. Yeah. So, yeah. So, um, you know, maybe one day I'll get an iPhone, but uh, not this week. Maybe next week. <laughs> maybe next week. <laughs> yeah, we'll see
0: cool cool well uh some other kind of internet-y news happened recently um a little while ago twitter deprecated uh, some pretty core apis used by uh third-party twitter clients um around notifications um favorites um and some other stuff too that makes it really kind of hard to use a third-party client now harder Um, harder yeah um so for example, recently I was using direct messages with somebody and um, in, in what seemed like relatively real time. And then I realized this person had already sent a bunch of messages that were like reinserted in the timeline further up that I'd never seen or gotten notifications for. I think that kind of um, the all of the streaming API endpoints yep. are now kind of no longer available, mm-hmm. which makes using TweetBot um, really difficult for me. Um, yeah. So I think that combined with some of twitter's platform decisions recently around um their kind of inability to enforce um their terms of service with regard to uh certain people who use uh twitter and certain certain companies and certain platforms that uh uh, certain companies rather and certain users that um kind of are creating content that's really doesn't really deserve to have any platform whatsoever at least um uh, in, in the estimation of many folks, myself included, um, people have been moving over to alternative networks. Uh, and one that we've talked about a little bit and that I think we've all kind of revisited a little bit recently is Mastodon. IO. Oh, Mastodon. Oh, <laughs> uh, so close. <laughs> um, and Mastodon's really cool. Um, it is a federated social network, so you have a lot of small instances rather than one main website that folks can go to um, and those instances are all generally speaking, running very similar code bases, if not the exact same code base.
1: Yeah, um, I think so.
0: And can talk to one another, um, through some agreed upon protocols called activity pub and O status, I think are the main two, Yep. Uh, along with some others. Um, so it's kind of an interesting thing. Um, I think we have an episode about Mastodon that is available on the internet, um, so if you're more interested in in, uh kind of the inner workings that i think we talked through that a little bit there um but um i don't know i think one thing to talk about is just like where are we all on mastodon brian which which instance are you on
1: i'm on mastodon.cloud
0: nice and ryan which one are you on did we ever figure that out I,
1: i have no idea i'm gonna go look i'm on mastodon cloud also
0: nice Um, I think that's the original instance, right? The one run Um, by Eugene Rothko?
1: No, I think Social is the original instance, right? Oh, gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, Yeah, and Social was too busy, so I I went to the other one. Yeah, Yeah, I think think...
2: we all signed up in April, was it?
1: And I signed up later. I I signed up a year ago, April.
0: Um, And uh, I think I now have four, maybe five (laughs) accounts. Um, Jeez it's kind of typical it's kind of unnecessary but that's that's how i live my life the first one i signed up for was uh mastodon.xyz because mastodon.social and mastodon.cloud were both not accepting invites and then there was another instance called cyber.space c-y-b-r-e.space uh, and that sounded like fun so i got an account there too and then um around september of last year i think it was uh, somebody from the local Twitter community made it an instance called MSP Social, and I'm there too. Uh, I just joined that recently, though, because I was mostly just following people on MSP Social um, from one of my other accounts because I was like, two accounts is already pretty excessive. Um, but then uh, this conference I'm going to, um, I'm going to, or will have gone to, depending on when this episode is released. Probably I will have gone to High Time Travelers um, <laughs> is uh, had, had its own instance, has slash had its own instance so i signed up there and at that point i was like ah what the heck i'll just sign up for msp social too so i have four different accounts all of them my username is brandon um but they're at different instances and generally speaking have very different content um so i guess maybe the next thing to talk about is what what how, how have you guys what, what what do you think about Mastodon? um with uh, the time that you spent there what do you think of the difference between Mastodon and twitter um both in, like, using it and, like, who's there? Um, and do you think it's a real thing that could actually take a sizable chunk out of Twitter?
1: I think we're working on it. I, yeah, I don't know if this is
2: all the way there yet. I The people I follow in Mastodon are mostly people who I follow on Twitter as well. Right. Maybe even exclusively. Um, so there is some overlap there. I think the concept of... Um, what is it that's you can hide content? What is that? What do they call it? Oh,
0: like a like a content
2: warning. Yeah. Content warning, yeah, CW. I think that's the community is still figuring out when to use that and when that's appropriate.
1: Yeah, you um, know, I I think I think in terms of can we get normal people to use Mastodon? I don't think the answer is yes yet, mm-hmm. because. Yeah. Um, you know, it's weird because I, when I think of normal people, I think of also people who play games and I, I know, I know, I know a sizable portion of games have the concept of instances and servers and stuff, but -hmm. then simultaneously, I know those same people aren't normal people because they play WoW. So I don't know. It's, it's hard. Um, I mean, you know, it, 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 I think when, when we get to the point where somebody makes an interface that is a little bit more. Appealing somehow, and I don't know what that means yet. Um, the default Mastodon interface is kind of this column, kind of tweet deck like style interface. Yeah. Um, you know, when somebody makes the uh, Facebook equivalent interface, which is funny because it's really just blue and right. a single single column. Um, you know, maybe that's when um it gets big enough to actually get some people to actually try it that are from the normal sphere um of users Mm -hmm. and and you know maybe that's um maybe that's a single instance that somebody makes and it has a, a special skin for it and then maybe that special instance also has enough money to make um a few really nice apps but for themselves right um so basically it's a first party mastodon client instance thing i guess right um I don't know. I think, I think we're just a little bit um, away from when that happens. Um, but I can totally imagine that happening.
2: I think there are problems, too, with linking to user accounts on other instances um, and kind of where to draw the line there. Um, I think, too, if instances start implementing special features, it's going to break compatibility or really start to have a more centralized feel if there's clearly one instance that puts way more effort into it. Um, so I think, you know, the balancing open source community contributing back to the rest of the other instances, um, which third party or first party applications become very popular, how well they keep up with the features and support things like linking to other accounts and things like that. I think there's a lot still to be played out.
1: Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I, I, I like the service a lot though. Um, uh, so what what I've been waiting for for years, and so Diaspora was sort of like it, but for the Facebook model, and this is this is obviously Twitter, but you, you know this is this is Mastodon for the Twitter model. Like that's cool. What all of those things had in common, and what I've always wanted, is basically WordPress, but for social networking, um, because you can go to WordPress dot com and you can sign up for a WordPress account, and they'll host your thing for free. If you need some extra features, you can pay for it. Cool. Um, but then if you actually want to go off on your own and have your own plugins and your own little customizations, your own theme, you can go spin up your own WordPress blog. And it uses roughly the same code base, except somebody else hosts it. It's you. Um, and I think Mastodon is getting pretty close to that. We're, we're still not there yet, but we're getting closer. For sure. Um, one other thing I'll mention about Mastodon for the technical audience is that it? For some reason, has decided to use um, not what I would have thought. It it uses Ruby on Rails to to, to work.
0: Oh yeah, yep. It's definitely a Rails app. And and
1: uh. I and every time I see that and and I and I check back frequently, I always wonder: Are you sure you want to do that? Um, because you know it's it's Ruby on Rails. Well, well, it's perfectly fine for some CRUD apps and you know that kind of thing it might not be the most horizontally or vertically scalable solution out there.
0: No, I feel that. I think, um, you know, I think Twitter made that discovery too. At some point, Twitter was very heavily rails driven and then, uh, that kind of, uh, changed, changed pretty quickly. Um, I think, you know, some of the things that help with that is most instances are pretty small other than Mastodon. Social.
1: Yeah. And cloud Um, and a few others. Yeah.
0: Right, right, right. Um, and I think, you know, I, I like it because i've kind of helped to hack on some stuff for msp.social or mspsocial.net sometimes um but like i i agree with you that like if there were ever to be one centralized instance which i don't think um the creators of macedon are hoping for if you look at the github issues they have a lot of conversation there about how they don't want um to introduce features like local only posts that cause oh the totally community to be even more insular.
1: oh i agree but
0: i um but I agree with you that, like, technically, it's interesting to see how much of the ActivityPub stuff and Ostatus o stuff is also in Ruby. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think you and I were talking in Slack a little bit, Ryan, about how there seemed to be other Ostatus implementations and yep. some other ActivityPub servers out there that looked intriguing. But most of them were just GitHub repository stuff. Yeah. Like, I felt kind of embarrassed when I sent you that link to that Rust one. And the Rust's o-, o status implementation was like non-existent. It was yeah. like a bootstrapped thing.
1: Zero point um, zero point one.
0: Right, 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 right. It yeah. was like, clear somebody had somebody wrote the README as though it was done. Um, not done. And I know, and I know nothing next to Rust. Um, but it wasn't I done. Next, <laughs> I know next to nothing about Rust, but it was very clearly not done. Yeah. Uh, and that was pretty clear as soon as I started looking at the code. Um, yeah.
1: So when I when I poke around the uh, the Mastodon repo, you know, it's in Rails, and that's fine but uh but i'm still dreaming for the day it's not in rails and it's in either rust or go yeah. only because the um this the performance levels at um of what you can get for the same code um, uh-huh. is is orders of magnitude different. so what you can get in rails is 1x what you can get in go is 2 to 3x and what you can get in rust might be 5x and while the code might be more complicated um, in some parts, it might actually get simpler and maybe even more um, secure and safe in some ways. Um, so, yeah, maybe that, that's just and, – and, and maybe uh, in the future, Mastodon as a system protocol, um, you know, having adopted OAT and ActivityPub as sort of its underlying protocols, maybe that will be robust enough to actually have multiple implementations right. somewhere
0: yeah and there already is like uh gnu social is another implement thing that implements both activity pub and o status yeah but i haven't looked into that whatsoever i'm sure you have to look at what what's the one called uh there's like some desert themed like gnu github or gnu social or um, yeah
1: i don't know what that one's called but is yeah. it called like
0: Bazaar or savannah can use savannah i think that's what it's called I've, yeah it's like i've their, heard something their like github that. their github is like yep. is like that um i and i just i can't be bothered to uh to deal with the free software foundation
1: yeah uh, and you shouldn't because when you go to their website it, it looks like it came from the 90s so watch out right
2: Yep. oh man yep that's the, retro. That,
1: that that's probably not it but i don't know it looks know. like a looks... like a track kind of theme
0: yeah Yeah, so that's that's the that's their like git server which is entertaining because i think that's where you have to go to get to the new social thing but i don't know where that is
1: i I don't don't know either perfect how could i um but yeah so so one day i think the the servers the internals will get better um not that they're bad but you know um so yeah i think that's cool um the other day i was helping somebody who who i follow on twitter um kind of get used to the the whole mastodon concept and it, it is confusing because there's a federated timeline there's the local timeline um and, and and of course there's tons of different instances and of course i want to make my own instance because i'm just a weirdo like that um so yeah i don't know well we're gonna have to see where this goes and i think we'll it'll be evolving over the time you know, this has been done before of course, and I made the joke earlier about tent- Tentio. Mm-hmm. And I don't I don't I think that was a, an entirely original um, protocol concept. It was not ActivityPub because that didn't exist 5 years ago. Right. Um, Brian remembers Tentio very well, I know. <laughs> yeah, very 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 well. So so well he can't even speak about it. Yeah,
0: that's how it works.
1: Yeah, it's uh it was good. So yeah, I think um, I think we'll, we'll we'll be sticking around Mastodon for a little while at least. Yeah. You know? So you know what time it is?
0: What time is it?
1: Well, it's time for new Twitter followees and new Mastodon followees. <laughs>
0: Entertainingly, this time I don't have any. Um, I don't you know have none. Is. I have none.
1: So, so you you went from two thousand to four thousand to four thousand. Four thousand,
0: yeah. Uh, plus or minus zero, I think is the phrase.
1: Plus or uh, minus zero, yeah. Uh huh.
0: So, uh, no, no delta.
2: So, what's happened in your life that caused you to suddenly stop following new people? Um, are you feeling okay?
0: <laughs> uh, no I think
1: comment. he needs to lay down. He's ill. Yeah. Yeah.
0: I'm uh. Uh, anyhow, Brian, who did you follow?
2: Um, so a couple people on this list are those that I think you guys have followed forever ago that I finally did. So the first being Dan Abramov, which is at Dan underscore Abramov. Kind of spelled how it sounds. He's uh, He works on React. He co-authored Redux and create React app. He's got lots of opinions and lots of React experience, and he posts a lot, and it's cool to, to read about. He is
1: very very cool. he's pretty nice. he's fun.
0: Yeah, I would consider him a very good kid.
1: The next
2: person is Kent C and he's another cool JavaScripter. He might be on TC39. also I guess he works for PayPal and he's done stuff for Egghead and Frontend masters and I think I've seen him talk, but I don't really remember exactly when or where or what he talked about, but JavaScript Minnesota.
0: i know for a fact he was at jsmn and i know he was talking about his uh component styling library that i believe was called uh not glimmer glimmers the ember thing um glamorous it was like that sounds like glamour um became like glamour kind of fell out of favor and then he created glamorous and now it's a paypal thing and
2: yeah oh yeah okay i remember that talk yeah
0: but um, it looks like we did not record that or if we did, um, somebody at some point requested us not to post it, so post it, we did not. Um, Too bad. But I I trust that somebody remembers that that talk did happen.
2: Yeah, so uh, I have four people this episode. So number three is uh, Amro Musa. He's uh, one of the iOS developers at Twitter. Um, I saw some tweets retweeted of his when the, all the discussion about the Twitter streaming APIs being taken down, being taken down, um, so I gave him a follow there. So he's he tweets a bit about Twitter itself and other things too. So, yeah. Nice. And finally, uh, Shalana Dawson, who just gave a, uh, a talk at the end of August at JavaScript Minnesota on like a, what was it, type, typography or the different yeah. ways of rendering typefaces and fonts between print form like literally physical print media and um the web and it was super interesting
0: yeah it was a really awesome talk and it was cool to see just how much of uh how much of that is stuff that like people don't really think about when they're building for the web right yeah. um but is it's so it's so like critical when you actually see it live for sure
2: and i even used a after she was describing how line height works, I even used that at work the next day to fix a bug I was trying to fix. Nice, out. perfect. Nice, feels great. Spinner font, font based spinners change when they when you render them into the DOM would like increase the line height, but just line height zero and it was fine.
1: Nice. So right on. The more you know. Yep. All
2: right, that's it for me.
1: Well, I don't have any Twitter followers, but I do have some uh, Mastodon thingamajigs. What do you what do you call, Twitter followers on Mastodon? Because uh, tweets pals? Are, tweets are toots. Okay, so it's new 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 yeah. Mastodon pals. Okay, so so
0: so a pal is somebody who follows you, and a friend is somebody who you follow. I don't know. That just hurts. That I up. can't how about, think.
2: How about tooters? No, no, that's
1: all right. <laughs> no, we're no, not uh, going to do that one. Yeah, I think that's a noble family or something. That's, that's I don't a, know.
0: That's an e for effort. Uh, <laughs> love um,
1: it. So so I I, I just put my. Um, mastodon cloud handle here in the notes just so that everybody can go and see what i do um but i follow this new guy called R buck and this other guy called brian mitchell and i for some reason i apparently don't follow brandon so that's okay i don't know why i um, don't say
0: anything entertaining, <laughs> so it's all good
1: but um so the other day um Ranz, um whose name is michael lopp in real life um whose blog I read and who I follow on Twitter was trying Mastodon. So I followed him on Mastodon and kind of walked him through some of the stranger aspects of being on Mastodon. So that was cool. So I, I follow Rans on Mastodon now.
0: A cool individual to be sure.
1: For sure. And he has a, a book that you should read about managing people or something. So you got, you got to plug the products of other people that you follow on Twitter. That's what you got to do.
0: That's true. That's how it works. That's
1: how it works. Um, so, maybe one day I'll we'll actually follow actual people on Mastodon, but it's not today.
0: Today is not that day indeed.
1: No. That's it for me.
0: Awesome. Well, this has been really cool. Thanks, yeah. you guys.
1: So, normally we would talk about next time, but that's far too far in the future to even speculate about. But there will be a next time. We just don't know when.
2: Yeah, but, uh, similar weeks. things happening on the network these days. Um, take a listen to the, uh, apple september event nexus special um brandon and i will likely be reviewing new um our new iphones soon um ios 12 review yeah yeah the apple things and i would like to have a a discussion about Macs at some point because I know what, Brandon um, and I are might be What's that buying new Mac new
1: operating system called? We, Mojave. Mojave. We'll have it. Oh,
2: yeah, we should probably do a review on that too. Yeah,
1: we'll, we'll probably have to do a light review on that. I mean, it's it's an operating system on a computer. I mean, they can't change it that much, right?
2: I don't know. Yeah. This uh, this one has
0: dark mode, and that's pretty fun. It also causes my MacBook to kernel panic, which is also fun.
1: That is also very fun. I'm that'll feed very well into a we so need new you, Macs episode. Are you sure dark mode isn't this the the terminal when it comes up after it crashes?
0: Oh, there's that too.
1: Uh-huh. Okay, uh, that's a t- different t- kind <laughs> of
0: dark mode. Take take your pick, really. Yeah, <laughs> the, the darkest timeline of modes. Yeah, exactly. Oh
1: my gosh, um, yeah. So so there's a ton of ton of good stuff coming out here in the future. Um, Podkit will return after some of that. Um, so where can we find you on the internet?
0: Uh, we can find me just about anywhere, but particularly on mastodon.xyz, where my username is Brandon nice and easy to remember because it's just my name no underscores none of that unlike the bird site you can also find me roaming the streets of minneapolis probably drinking coffee and maybe sparring with my macbook that occasionally kernel panics
2: uh you can find me on twitter at brian mitchell or on mastodon.cloud slash brian (laughs) mitchell um also you can find me downtown minneapolis towards the end of this month and early october going to Various concerts in the span of a couple of weeks.
1: Nice. So good. Nice. And of course, you can find me just about everywhere, but especially on the Twitter at Ranmar, and of course, on Mastodon at Ranmar. I have no idea which instance. And also, of course, on my website, RanRapperset.com, where I have all sorts of stuff that link to other places. Awesome. And of course, this episode is uh, episode 42 of Podkit, and you can find the show notes at thenexus.tv slash pk42, which is of course the answer to everything. And of course you can find um, some discussion on our subreddit r slash Nexus TV and uh, you can also go on to the Patreon where you can uh, you know support us and you know encourage us to do things like this episode you know those kinds of things at patreon.com slash tv
0: so good I'm really glad that we got a Hitchhiker's Guide reference in there. I was, yeah. Uh, I, I, I could, feel like... I couldn't let it go. I feel like I've advocated my duty to include it uh, earlier on, but I appreciate that that you got it in. There.
1: I, I had to get it in there.
0: As we all must. Yep. Truly, truly.
1: Well, great. This was fun. We'll do it again.
0: Yeah, have a good one.
1: Have a good one. Don't forget your towel. Watch out for cars. The Nexus. The Nexus, the Nexus TV. Podcasts from the Technological technological convergence. Convergence.